the woman was bent over and had been thus crippled for 18 years. One translation has it, she was bent together, suggesting that her curvature might have been even more dramatic than that. Archaeologists have found graves containing bones thus fashioned in that shape. Apparently, it was a, not an uncommon malady in the ancient world. We know it as osteoporosis, as arthritis, some of our other crippling diseases, but this perhaps more severe than any of the others because Jesus called it demonic. It is the work, it was the work of Satan. Indeed, as I thought about this Mother's Day and speaking to women in various conditions in our modern world, I considered how many ways women can be bound today. Our only binding is not only a binding of the flesh and bones, but there are many others as well. I wonder, as I think about them now, how many in our congregation are bound and desperately seeking some kind of release from all that keeps them captive. I think of the women who are bound by betrayal, of those who had a wonderful experience in high school, grew up in a happy home, all their dreams fulfilled, going off to college, looking for Mr. Perfect, finding the one they believed to be Mr. Perfect, dreaming of that house in the suburbs, the family, the two kids and a dog, two cars, and all the rest that we think of as the ideal American situation, only to have that dream come shattering down because that Mr. Perfect broke the most basic covenant of all, the covenant of faithfulness between a man and a woman. And out of that broken dream, that, that affluence of a wage earner, uh, discovering instead that one is now a one-parent uh, family and knowing that the majority of the families in America that live in poverty are one-parent families, the majority of which are the woman fulfilling the role of mother as well as wage earner. I wonder how many are bound in the bitterness of betrayal so caught up in the pain and the bitterness of it all as to be unable to salvage any semblance of a life, unable to pull themselves together and to start putting one foot in front of the other as they try to rebuild their lives and create something for their children and for themselves in the midst of their brokenness. I wonder how many are bound by that uh, sense of betrayal. I wonder how many are bound by a sense of discrimination and, and a quality of futility. It is a sin that even today, women who have the same training, the same job, the same hours, 
make 74% in wages of what their male counterpart makes. I tell you, that's not just wrong. That's a sin against God. There are women who are bound by discrimination in the marketplace. Women who have a ceiling on the height of their careers, not because they're incompetent, but because they were born a woman. There is something very, very wrong about that. And it's not only in the marketplace where business is business. I'm sorry to say it sometimes happens in the church as well, where there are those who would have a disparity between the salaries because of the gender of the persons. I think about someone whom Jean and I employed when we couldn't afford them in another church, another city, a person who had um, desperate need, who was a widow, who lived alone and literally lacked basic bread. I think about this woman's story. She worked in a church for 40 years as a maid. This woman, after all those 40 years, was called to the front of the church when she reached her 70s and her health was gone. They presented her with a thank you card and a $100 bill in it and sent her back to starve. Illegally, they didn't pay any Social Security on her and they didn't have any kind of lay retirement plan. They literally released her to go and starve. I tell you, sometimes people are bound by discrimination. Some people are bound by bitterness. Those things that have accrued to them simply because they're a woman. I think sometimes about women who are in cultures that we consider very backward, not that we don't have our share of problems and our share of discrimination here. But I read those ghastly stories about little girls who are surgically circumcised, undergoing this dreadful operation simply because they happen to be born in a certain culture and because they're born as little girls. I was reminded of that during General Conference when our international delegates came and enriched our assembly with their presence. We had pastors and lay people from the Congo who had ridden bicycles and walked for days to wait to get a visa to come for general conference. They came from areas where there's a war. They don't even know if their families will be alive when they get home. But I remember in the midst of our debate, one of, about marriage, one of, our, one of our pastors from the Congo stood up and through a translator said, listen, I don't understand why we're confused about marriage. He said, I remember before the missionaries, the United Methodist missionaries came, and, and I was growing up as a little boy in our culture when I went to my mother and she didn't give me what I wanted. I just went to my other mother and asked her. Everybody in our culture practiced polygamy. We didn't have one mother. We had two, three, four, five mothers. And then the missionaries came and, and talked to us about Jesus and preached the gospel and told us Jesus had said marriage should be between a man and a woman, just one man and one woman, and that should be forever. 
And then this pastor sat down, having said, I don't understand all of the confusion. Has somebody changed their mind about what Jesus said? I thought it was a powerful statement, but more than that, I, I thought, what about growing up in a culture where Jesus is not preached? Tough is it sometimes, we sometimes make it on women in our own culture. Can you imagine growing up in any culture where Jesus has never been preached? If you don't think Jesus makes a difference for women, you ought to go visit one of those cultures and see what it's like to rear a family there. So the, the thought came to me as I prepared for this Mother's Day, there are many experiences of being bound. That's the word Jesus used. People are bound. And Jesus Christ offers us release from all that binds us. Let me say three things about this scripture. The first one you wish you didn't even have to say, but honest requires it. And that is not everybody who is a member of the church behaves like a Christian. Now that's a tough thing, and I know you're shocked to hear me say that. But the longer, the longer I serve as a pastor, the more I believe we ought to have one corner of the church that's developed to church members recovering or something like that, the equivalent to the 12-step program. Because I, I run into people all the time who have been hurt by the church. Not everybody who's in the church behaves like a Christian. And, and here in this scripture, you have a classic example. When Jesus released this woman, did everybody break forth in sounds of praise? No, there was the ruler of the synagogue, the head honcho himself, who in very pious tones, have, haven't you ever heard voices like that? When you talk to them on the street, they sound one way, but once they put on their, their I call it a stained glass voice, they sound different. And, and you can just hear this guy when he puts on his stained glass voice. And he said, God said we ought to work six days out of the week, but we ought not work on the seventh day. And how come this man's curing somebody on the Sabbath day? How dare he do something a little bit different in our place of worship? And, and you can see where he's coming from because the Bible says he said that to the crowd. He, he didn't have the, the nerve or the courage to say it directly to Jesus. The Bible said he spoke that to the crowd. I mean, you always have people who, instead of going to the person involved, they're always speaking what they have to say to the crowd. I, I call those people those who keep the grit stirred up. Just always stirring the grits. Have you, have you ever been near the stove when somebody's stirring the grits and hot grits popped on you? Ooh, it hurts. And, and so here's a, here's a person who's just stirring the grits. He's saying what he has to say not to Jesus. He's, he's saying it to the crowd. Now, what's happened in this man is that his compassion is dried up like a shallow poo, a puddle on a summer day. His, his compassion is dried up, and he's become one of those sour saints with a shriveled soul. I mean, you, you look at his face, and, and it's stop a clock. He's lost all the joy has gone out of his religion, and he looks like death eating a soda cracker. And, 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 and when, you get, when you get around people like that, they'll bite you. 
especially if you try to change some of their little rituals or their little rules, because they'd rather keep on doing it their way than help people. They put stuff ahead of people. And, and so we have to deal with that. And, and we have to say that up front. Not everybody who's a member of the church behaves like a Christian. Well, what did Jesus say to this person? He, 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 took this, he wanted to make sure everybody was a winner, that he wanted to take this very indirect approach to this man. He said, um, you hypocrite. <laughs> You're a hypocrite. You're terrible, man. He said, You're awful. I mean, the law says that, that when your donkey is thirsty on the Sabbath day, you can release the donkey and take him to get some water. And you're telling me that I've done wrong to release this, this daughter of Abraham who has been bound for 18 years, been looking at the dirt and the shoes of people, can't even look up at the trees or the mountains or into the face. You're telling me I'm doing wrong to release this poor woman who stared at the dirt for 18 years? The Bible says some of them still had enough decency that they were ashamed. Now, the second thing I want to say about this scripture is that this woman took her infirmities to the church or to the place of worship. For her, it's a synagogue. For us, it's the church. Knowing the church has all these problems, she still took it to the church, to the, to the place of worship. Now, she, could, she could have found a thousand reasons not to go. I mean, she had to have been self-conscious. What clothes would have fit her? I mean... She, the children might have pointed, might have stared. I mean, maybe she could have been bitter toward God for letting this happen to her. She could have found a hundred reasons why she shouldn't be there, but she came. She kept on worshiping. She kept on reaching out to God because this woman knew in her heart of hearts that her best chance for help is in the church. It's, it's true. Jeffrey Paul said, our arch, the archbishop quoted this to us the other day. Jeff, Jeffrey Paul said that, that the church is a society of ragtags and fatheads. But, but you, you can't follow Jesus without belonging to that society. So all of our, for all of our faults, we are still belong to Jesus Christ. It's his church. And, and the woman kept on coming because somehow she knew that was the place where she was going to get help. Harry Wood told me a story about somebody in his church the other day. A, a beautiful little girl whose, whose daddy abandoned her family, left a big family little girl. She's the oldest at 14. And, and her mother was on welfare and it wasn't enough. And so she got a job, this little beautiful little girl, selling newspapers like the people you saw standing on the islands along the highways as you came to church today. And she was there selling her newspaper, trying to help her mother, as the oldest, she was helping her mother put the uh, uh, bread on the table. And, and there was a wreck there one day at that intersection, and one of the cars careened into this little 14-year-old. And as a result, she, she lost a leg. A leg had to be amputated. People in the town uh, took up some money to pay her hospital bill. Harris said he went to see this little 14-year-old and discovered she was a radiant Christian. 
He chose to have her come and give her testimony. Since she was well known, she came to give her testimony on Easter Sunday. After the congregation heard her at nine o'clock, one of the members of Harry's church came forward and pulled the pastor aside and said, Pastor, when she finishes her testimony at 11 o'clock, you, you tell her that all of her college and all of her graduate school is paid for. It's my privilege. And, and Harry didn't tell just uh, Heather. He told the whole congregation, Heather, your college and your graduate work, all of it's paid for. It's somebody's pleasure in this church to do that for you. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. It's the kind of thing that happens where believers come together. I mean, you come to church and you just, you know there's somebody there who cares for you. Somebody might bite you, but I want to tell you there are four who care. I mean, there are people there who love you, people who will go out of their way, people who will be your best friend, people who will pray for you, support you, work, stand alongside you, be with you through all of your greatest difficulties. A woman brought her infirmities to church. And when she came, she found Jesus. You can find Jesus in church. You've got the best place to find him in church anywhere I knew. Maybe it's more accurate to say she didn't find Jesus. Jesus found her. Tells you something about Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, here's this woman who's, and, and she doesn't call out to Jesus. She doesn't see Jesus. Remember, she can't see anybody. She's looking at the floor. That's, she's permanently fixed. But Jesus sees her, and he, he calls out, woman. Now, how would we translate that? We Southerners would say, ma'am, ma'am. And he, he runs to this woman, and he puts his hands on her, and she straightens up for the first time in 18 years and begins to praise God. Oh, my goodness. Jesus could have waited one day and wouldn't have had any problems with all those religious types. He could have waited one day and nobody would have criticized him. But I want to tell you, he wasn't willing to wait for a minute. He didn't wait for the intermission. He didn't wait for the offering. He didn't wait until it was over. He saw that poor woman and his heart broke and he went then and touched her. He wouldn't wait 24 hours, even to avoid the criticism of all those people, he went that very moment. And if you are bound, he doesn't want you to wait till tomorrow. He wants you to be free today. Let me tell you how you can unbind people. Yesterday, when I was coming out of the hotel, I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself because I had gone to Cleveland by way of Georgia where I preached at a rally. And because I'd gone that way, I had to come back that way, which means I had to come through Atlanta and wait 30 minutes to get uh, late to get out of there. So I had to leave Cleveland early. All the rest of our delegates and my wife, they just took that direct flight at 2.30, you know, straight into Houston. And here I am having to go Delta down to Atlanta and then back over here. And so I'm a little bit sorry about that. I come out to get a cab to go to the airport and I see a young woman there about the size and age of our youngest daughter. She comes up to me and says, aren't you Pastor Henson? I said, yes, I am. She said, I've been waiting for somebody said, I need a cab, but I need somebody who will pay half of it 
said, would you share a cab with me? I said, I'd love to. We started off, and I, I, I discovered that uh, she was a pastor, is a pastor, in North Alabama. Her name is Kelly Clem. And as we rode along, it took me about five minutes to remember that she's the Kelly Clem who was preaching in her little church, her little rural church, on Palm Sunday in 1994 when that tornado hit it and those children were killed, including her little four-year-old daughter who was sitting on the front pew. And when that thing hit me and I said, Kelly, I know who you are, and she began to talk about the experience, and somebody reminded me that the first time we gave Mother's Day roses in his church was when we gave them to help Kelly Clem rebuild her church. I'd forgotten that. And here I'm talking to Kelly, and she's telling me about her fort. She said, I knew she was going to be killed, and I was trying to get from the pulpit to the front pew, but she was killed before I could reach her. She saw her daughter die. And then I, I was in tears, and she was in tears, and I said, Kelly, how have you done it? How did you pick up the pieces and go on? And quick as a flash, she said, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God is working for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then she said, even when I saw my daughter die, even in the worst days that followed, she said, I knew Jesus had his hand on me. And then in 1997, she gave me a beautiful smile and said, in 1997, God gave us another little girl. We named her Hope. We named her Hope. She's three now. And in January, they're going to take Hope and her big sister, who's eight, and they're, go to, they're going to Lithuania as missionaries for the United Methodist Church. Praise the Lord. Our Jesus can release us from whatever binds us. We can name that child Hope, and we can take that love across the wide earth. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. I want you now to bow your heads with me uh, as we pray together. I want you to reach forward and take hold of the wood. These pews are made of wood, thank God. And as you hold, as you touch that wood, I want you to remember that Jesus died on a piece of wood, a cross called Calvary. And as you touch that wood this morning, I want you spiritually to be in touch with the cross. And whatever binds you, I want you to believe in your heart that Jesus, through his redemptive death on that cross and the power of his resurrection, that he can set you free from every bondage. Come, Lord Jesus. There are people here who are bound. There are people who are open now to your releasing, saving power. Through your Holy Spirit, released at Pentecost, pour your love and forgiveness into their hearts. Free them from bitterness. Free them from all of the pain of discrimination and from everything that is added to the weight of our sisters across the world 
and in this place. Lord, we want them to be free, and you're the one who can give them freedom. We make our prayer in the powerful name, in your powerful name, and for your sake. Amen.